This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, Dr. Roos shares the first message of a new series entitled At Timothy. During this message, you'll hear three keys on listening to the voice of truth. Let's join Dr. Nate Roosh right now for part one. Today we're going to start our brand new series called At Timothy. Let me give you a little bit of a setup though. First of all, I want to start by talking about a guy named Ernest Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton. How many of you have heard of that name, Ernest Shackleton? Some of you have, some of you history buffs. Back in the beginning of the 1900s, Ernest Shackleton was an explorer, and he led several expeditions to Antarctica. He was making his way towards the South Pole, and he became very famous in the British Empire because he made it further than others had made it before and did different things than others had done. And so by the time he had gone through two expeditions, he became very famous throughout all of Britain. So then he goes on his third expedition, and he takes a ship, and that ship gets stuck in unbelievable uh, anti-global warming circumstances. The ice freezes around the ship, and uh, and and they're stuck, and then the ice begins to crush the ship. And so he and his crew had to get out of the ship, and they abandoned that ship, and they got on some lifeboats. And they pulled away, and then they spent five harrowing days, and so they landed on an island where they could survive for a little bit, but there was not enough food on that island, so Ernest Shackleton made a decision, a leadership decision. He decided, we have got to live, and I want all of my crew to live, so I'm going to pick about 10 people, and we're going to go, and we're going to go back out into the ocean, and we're going to find another piece of land about 750 nautical miles away, and we're going to go all the way over there, and we're going to find help. And so he picks those men, they get in, they get in the boat, they get over, they get in 21 days or so, they land at this other island, and when they landed at that island, they did find help, and they found food and supplies. Then it took them three or four uh, tries, and they finally made it four and a half months later, back to that original place, and the men that were there had all survived, and they all together survived. He did not lose one Person. So Ernest Shackleton makes it through all of this crazy circumstances, gets back to Great Britain, and the news spreads. And it spreads far and wide. He is knighted. He becomes a knight in the British Empire. He is a, he's a big-time news. He's an incredible leader who's gone through many circumstances, and then he decides to go on his fourth expedition. And so he puts, and he needs a crew. So he puts an ad in the paper. And the ad in the paper in 1921 said this. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. That was the ad in the paper. Now here's the crazy thing. Over 10,000 people applied. Why did they apply to that ad? Because it was signed by Ernest Shackleton. And the British believed that no matter what happened, Ernest Shackleton would get them home safely. They believed in his word because of the experiences that he had gone through. 
He has a chiseled experience, if you will. He's gone through some scars. He's got a patch over his eye, and he made it all the way so they could trust him. And by the way, on that fourth expedition, he actually died of a heart attack. Uh, He didn't make it all the way, but they did all make it back safe. And in recent years, Great Britain, even there was a poll about 10 years ago, of the five best leaders of all time in the British Empire, and Ernest Shackleton made it into that list. So his exploits are still heard over 100 years later. So why am I sharing this story with you before we go into First and Second Timothy? The reason is, is that the Apostle Paul, who is the writer of First and Second Timothy, is a reliable leader who sent two letters to Timothy with reliable advice for how to navigate the difficult and dangerous journey God has sent you and I to travel. And we can learn from a grizzled veteran, a veteran who has a long history, who was persecuted by the early church, was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus and completely transformed into a Christ follower. And his name was changed from Saul to Paul. And there's something about his story that plays into what you're hearing his words say to you. You see, he was confident because he had heard the voice of Jesus and and people like Barnabas and other church leaders who had spoken to his life and invested in him. He had heard the voice and he was clear about who he was and he knew what life was all about. And Paul had spent years traveling around after his conversion to plant churches far and wide. And those of you that know anything about church plants, church plants are not easy things to start. Hey, come to my church. How long you been around? We just started last week. It's not easy. I'm a big believer in church planting. Here at Emmanuel, we partner with church plants all the time, locally and around the world. We believe in it. But it's not easy work. And those church plants are planted by Paul, were established, and then he would move on. And they were called missionary journeys that he would go on. He'd go to places nobody had ever heard the gospel before, and he would preach and he would plant a church. He would start a church. And when, when he would go, he then would take people with him. And on one of his missionary journeys, he took a guy, a young man named Timothy with him. And Timothy went on the journey, saw him plant a church, saw Paul dealing with difficult church leaders and people in the church. He dealt with the city leaders around him, the opposition that he faced. And Timothy saw him. He saw him not only in public, but in private. How many know leadership is more than just in public? In this Instagram world where we get to rearrange our photos and make them look better, you know, and we're trying to make ourselves look thinner, you know, when people want to take a picture of me, I'm like, take it a little higher. So, you know, it comes down, I look skinnier that way or whatever. We love to present ourselves to everybody else as one thing. Well, Timothy saw the real Paul. He saw how he operated in private, what he did with his time, how he dealt with difficult people. He saw him hangry. You know what hangry is when you haven't eaten yet and you're a little upset, a little cantankerous. Some of you didn't eat your breakfast yet. You're already hangry. Don't get mad at the preacher this morning. So he saw him in all of those circumstances and he had saw Paul face pressure. And you know, the mission that Paul was on had taken Timothy with him. And now Paul assigns Timothy to be the pastor of one of the churches Paul had planted in a town called Ephesus, in a region, an area there. And now it was Timothy's responsibility to lead this group of people. And Paul had inside information about those people. He knew what they were going through. 
And by this time, Paul is now in prison. And he can't be there to help him. He can't text him. He can't read him real close. So he writes a letter. And as he writes the letter, he's given this challenge to Timothy. Timothy is a leader who has seen good leadership. But how many know there's a difference between watching a good leader do it and now you're doing it? They all followed Paul, but they weren't going to look at him through the same lens. He had to have great courage because this was going to be a difficult circumstance. They liked Paul. They feared Paul. But who are you, Timothy? Well, Timothy was in a place where he was now going to step in. And Paul is going to give him advice of how to handle pressure. You all know what pressure is? Pressure. Pressure that we have on the inside. Sometimes that pressure to do what's right or the pressure to do what's wrong. Temptation calls us out, right? It comes after us, the pressure. There's pressure for Timothy that he's going to face outside the church. The culture in Ephesus was not serving the one true God. They were doing what they wanted with their bodies, whatever they wanted to do. They were doing whatever they wanted with their time. They were talking about people. And even within the, the city that he was in, they were serving other gods. There was a lot of pressure. Not everybody liked him, and he had to deal with that. That was pressure on the outside. Some of you have pressure around you. When you go to work or you go, go to school or you're in a place where in your neighborhood, you're feeling the pressure. All you got to do is go on social media and see how people think about Christians nowadays, and you can feel the pressure. You know what I'm talking about. But then he has pressure on the inside. Everybody said pressure on the inside. And pressure on the inside referring here to the church. He's going to deal with things going on in the church. You see, the church had heard the voice of Paul who had heard the voice of Jesus. And now there were other voices speaking to the people. And that pressure on the outside was having an influence on them. And he had to deal with pressure on the outside. Things like what do you do with your life? How do you parent when you got all different ideas? Should you give kids sugar? Should you not give kids sugar? But then that's a simple one. What should you teach your kids and what shouldn't you teach your kids? And there's pressure on the inside of your family circle. Sisters and parents are trying to tell you how to parent your kids. And it seems like everybody else has got an opinion about your life. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you will go through that. But there's pressure on the inside of your family, pressure on the inside of your organization. Perhaps you have a boss that wants you to work longer hours so that you can get better pay and stick around. And there's that pressure and the work environment that you're in. But that pressure is pushing you away from your family. And you're feeling the pressure of it on your life. So where's the pressure coming at you? What is pressure moving you toward? What could be lost? What are you vulnerable to? So here we are. We're now in Paul's letters. And I want you to think of them like regular emails or real-time text messages that encourage or warn and instruct and provide wisdom for your story. They are a relational tie for you and I to stay on mission, not to lose our soul or not to follow the crowd and not to dilute the truth. The great danger is that we would move away from our original design, that voice that spoke into our life. And Paul is challenging Timothy what not to drop. At Timothy is a gift to us. It's as if Paul were writing at Nate or at Jennifer or at Billy or at Susie. 
On the count of three, I want you to say your first name out loud. One, two, three. At, so it's like Paul is saying your name, and he's writing it to you right now. And hidden in his advice are gold nuggets for you to take into this season of life that you're in. How to handle opposition. How to deal with pressure on the inside of your family or organization or business or your friend group. Or how to deal with pressure on the outside. First Timothy chapter 1. Y'all there with me? Starting with verse 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy. You put your name in there. My true son in the faith, may God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. So right out of the gate, Paul writes this as a statement because this letter will be read in the church. And Paul is an apostle appointed by Jesus overseeing the church. He oversees multiple churches. And he is appointed by Jesus. In a sense, this is a succession plan. He is handing off responsibilities to Timothy in Ephesus so that he can pastor. Not so that he can become an apostle, but so that he would have the authority of the apostle to do the work. Now he's endorsing him. He's saying, listen to Timothy. I'm giving him my endorsement, okay? So there's an endorsement. It's saying this is important. Listen, he's transferring that authority. But I also want you to notice he says, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. How many want grace, mercy, and peace written over your life? Then you better come underneath that authority. One of the things we're going to talk about in here are other voices. Okay? And it's very clear in here that Paul is setting the path and the pattern that you can listen to voices who are under authority. Timothy is under the authority of Paul. When you are questioning advice from someone, is that person underneath authority or are they renegade and just coming up with their ideas on their own? Trust voices that are underneath authority. Okay? So then, why is he writing the letter? Look at verse five. He's writing to us. He says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. He wants love to be in the church. How many want love to be in our church? That love is the perfect love of Jesus. Other passages say, the perfect love cast out fear. Fear can't be found when perfect love is in that place. So Paul says, I want to see love developed in the church. This is not an easy thing. How many know love is a verb? It's an action word. He says, I want love to be there. That means that there are, there, there's the opportunity to not have love. There's the opportunity to not experience it. And you know what? I have been in situations, even in the church world, where I've seen the opposite of love. Hopefully, love uh, overcomes a whole lot of other things in our story, and love, love forgives a multitude of sins. So love can help us through things. You don't have to be perfect in church, but we do need to have love. And he says the way that you get love comes from three things. What does it say? From a pure heart. Biblically speaking, the heart is the center of who you are. It's your mind. It's your soul. It's your spirit. It's all that package right there. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what the original uh, commandment was, for us to follow and love the Lord with all our heart. Paul says that you might, love comes out of a pure heart. What is a pure heart? A pure heart means it's dedicated only unto one thing. 99% pure is not pure. Why? That 1% can make a big difference. You throw 1% of anything that is not good in a brownie mix, and it will make the brownie mix not good. So there is a, a dedication aspect to it. But I want you to catch something even further than that. When God created the earth, what did he do? He spoke the world into existence. He said it, and it was. His voice originates things, okay? When God comes along and he calls you and me, and he calls you, he does it with his voice. You might not have heard it audibly with your ears, but your heart, your soul heard God say to you, I choose you, I love you, I believe in you. There's something about the, the voice of God and when we go on a journey of following the voice, Jesus said that my sheep know my what? My voice, okay? So if we're going to love God and have a pure heart, it has to do with what we listen to, who we follow. And in today's day and age, there are so many other things coming into our heart and our mind and in our eyes that there are other voices that are, are tempting us to move away from being dedicated to one voice. Are you hearing me today? If you're going to have love, your heart has to be hearing the voice of God. It's not optional. You cannot have a pure heart without a, ears that are hearing the voice of God. You can't have it. We're born into sin. We need a savior. We need to stay close to the savior or else it gets polluted or impure. And then we wonder why we don't have love for others. It's because of what's going in our ears or in our eyes that comes from a pure heart. Secondly, a clear conscience. A clear conscience. The conscience is your inner voice that points to truth. Now, there are different languages for this in our culture, but let me just simply say this. God has given you an ability to hear the Spirit's voice, to discern between right and wrong. It's like GPS. It bounces off of heaven and it comes back down. If I do something wrong, I know I've done something wrong. Now I know that some of us have been raised where we don't know the difference between right and wrong. We live in a culture today that doesn't know right from wrong. It's, it's saying what used to be wrong and turning it into right. So how are we going to stay on the journey where we know what is true and what isn't? How does our conscience stay balanced? It stays balanced when we lean into the word of God and listen to the voice of God. Because that's how we retain a clear conscience. If you've drifted away and your conscience has become hardened or numbed and you aren't aware of right from wrong, I challenge you to bow your heart back before the Lord to let the water of the word of God wash your mind and your conscience can be restored. Can I get an amen? amen? The third thing is this. A pure heart comes from a genuine faith. A genuine faith. I suppose that word genuine matters. How many know there's a bunch of people in America today that say they're people of faith? 
But there's a difference between faith and genuine faith. If genuine faith says it works not only on Sunday morning. Did you know, I've said this all along since I started here as the lead pastor, that I want so much more from Emmanuel than just theater religion. Where all you do is come for one hour on a Sunday morning, sit in a room, watch what happens on the screen in front of you or on the platform in front of you. You listen, you nod, you rate it. You know, I give that two thumbs up. Eh, preacher was okay today. And then you walk out after a service and you go, that was good. I went to my movie. That is not what genuine faith is. This is important. I want you in church. But it has to be connected to Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Genuine faith means it's the filter I live my life through. I have a faith that I hold on to that I make my decisions with on, and how I handle my stresses and what I do with my family and how I handle my money. It's learning genuine faith as my whole life comes around listening to what the word of God has to say for my life. Can I get an amen? And when you have that genuine faith, then love comes out of it. Some of you want the quick fix. Preacher, I agreed with what you said last week. I came to the front of the room. I prayed my prayer, but nothing changed the next day, so I just went back to the way I was living. No, you haven't taken your step towards genuine faith. You gotta keep stepping. Some of you are like, I was stepping for two weeks in a row. Then I screwed up and I went back to my old way of living. That's okay, though the righteous fall seven times, they get back up every time. It's learning to keep stepping. And keep getting that genuine faith. The problem is the church that is now going to be pastored. Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he knows something about them. Look at verse 3. It says, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. There were people who had woven themselves in and were teaching the people, and the people were listening, where they were getting in stupid, pointless conversation. And I'll tell you this, believe it or not, not every person who shares insight in the church world is in alignment with the voice of truth. Today's access to blogs and sermons are awesome but they also carry a danger. Paul says that there are some that need to be stopped. He says some teaching is a waste of time. And you say, preacher, don't waste my time this morning. I'm doing my best. I don't want to waste your time. But the waste of time some teaching has is endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. Did you know that you can be baited into discussions in life that are a waste of time? You can click on links on social media that are a waste of time. They take you down a path where you're worried about things and then you find yourself in arguments with the church. In arguments, I don't have time when people try to send me links about some other pastor or other preacher and what they're saying. You know why? Because I'm not following them. That's their deal. I stay underneath authority. I'm gonna preach the word. 
I don't want to get baited into a debate with another brother or sister in Christ. That's their deal. Let them live their life. My responsibility is for me and as a pastor for you. I want to protect you from error. Don't get caught up in stupid, endless, pointless conversations. If it's not leading you towards Jesus and his mission, if it doesn't stoke the fire to worship God, if it doesn't burden you for those lost souls in your city, then stay away from it. There's too many people spending too much time worried about this sign and that sign about the end of times. Friend, I know the end is near. I know that there are apocalyptic things around the corner. But Jesus said, stay focused on your mission. Be busy doing what I called you to do until I return. Don't get off track. Ah. Verse 8. We know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or practice homosexuality or slave traders or liars or promise breakers or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Now the law he's speaking of here reveals our need of God. It keeps us from lying to ourselves or listening to people who tell us we're okay. There is teaching that contradicts the truth that leads to judgment under the law. And he's saying don't listen to that. And by the way, don't get prideful that your particular Temptation isn't on that list. The point isn't pointing out a particular sin or a particular thing that goes outside the law. The point is the law reveals it to you. When you're caught up in something, then you need to recognize that you're caught up and that you need a savior. Everyone is sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody here is messed up. We all needed the law to reveal we needed Jesus. I'm a sinner who needed the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so are you. And so he's saying, if you're not careful and you get off track, you begin to listen to other voices, the way back is to recognize that the law will reveal it to you. I'm off track. I need to get back in alignment with what the Word of God says for my life. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services and Wednesday prayer services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.